Hello, fellow movie fans. I'm Lily Percy, and I'll be your guide this week as I talk with Ruben Blades about the movie that changed his life, The Oxbow Incident. You may not have heard of it. I certainly hadn't. But don't worry. We're going to give you all the details you'll need to follow along. Te estoy buscando América the song that we're listening to is called Buscando América. It's by Ruben Blades, one of my heroes and someone that has influenced my life in profound ways. He's a musician. He's a, perhaps one of the biggest salsa musicians of our time. And he's also an activist and a lawyer, something that a lot of people don't know about him. And I wanted to talk to Ruben because I know that he loves movies. He's actually been in a lot of movies, credited here in the U.S. as Ruben Blades instead of Ruben Blades. And I have to say that I, the movie that he picked was one that I'd never heard of before, The Oxbow Incident. It's a movie from the 1940s, 1943 to be exact, by William Wellman. And it stars Henry Fonda and Harry Morgan. And it's a movie about vigilante justice, about what happens when crowds gather together in anger and kind of throw away the law as a result. The movie is set in a Western town, and a crime happens. One of their own is murdered, or so they think. And a group of men, a posse, goes after three other men who have been accused of the murder. Somebody better get the sheriff first thing, and Judge Tyler. Oh, what do we want with old Tyler and his trials? Down in Texas, where I come from, we just go out and get a man and string him up. That's right. I say stretch him. Ain't just a rustler we're after. It's a murderer. If you let this go by, there won't be nothing safe around here. Our cattle, our homes, not even our women folks. I'm with you, Farnley. I'm going to get me a gun and some rope, and I'll be right back. Count me in, too. Come on, boys. Get your guns. Don't get your Shut up, Grandma. Nobody expects you to go. What makes the movie so tense is that you don't actually know if they've done it or not. But this posse is so hell-bent on getting justice that they don't really care. Once I watched the Oxbow incident, it made complete sense that this movie changed Ruen's life. Ruen has been a leader in Latin American politics, in social justice movements. His music is played at every party, every wedding, every protest march, because he is the voice of the people. And watching the Oxbow incident as a little boy inspired Ruen to become a lawyer. He knew that he wanted to fight for the rights of others, those who didn't have a voice. He wanted to be that voice for them. So Ruen, you know, I just to give you a little background, this whole series, this idea, um, the ideas behind it is talking about a movie that changed your life. And I love that you talked about The Oxbow Incident, a movie I had never seen. And uh, it was such a thrill for me to watch it. So before we kind of delve into that movie, I just want to know what role movies have played in your life. Like what significance have movies in general had for you? The significance of movies in my life uh, was very, very important in the sense that they were examples that were presented to us at a time when movies all seemed to need to have una moraleja, something, mm, a lesson. Yeah, a morality. Uh -huh. Morality tale, a lesson. And my mother, my grandmother, um, God bless them both, uh, we used to live very close to, uh, to a movie theater in Panama called the Edison Theater. 
Hmm. And whenever we lived in a very small, you know, we had like two rooms or something. So it was always crowded. And uh, during the summer, it was very hot. Hmm. So this movie theater had probably the coldest air conditioning unit in the Western Hemisphere known <laughs> to mankind at the time. And yeah. we could pay a dime and go there and see three movies and come, uh, una comica, uh, uh, cartoons and uh, documentaries. And, hmm. and we ended up going a lot to the movies. And I remember my grandmother always telling me, uh, for instance, if we saw a cowboy movie, we saw uh, somebody get hit and go down. And the other guy would wait for the guy to get up. He wouldn't hit him in the floor. Yeah. And, and I would ask my There's grandma. There's a moral code. <laughs> and I asked my grandmother, why? And, and she said, you know, because you're not supposed to hit people on the, on the, when they're down. Hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of, of lessons that we learned. Some of them the, were good and some were bad. Uh, hmm. For instance, uh, the fact that at the time there were no blacks in the films. That, um, yeah, uh, no kidding. Uh, really, they weren't around unless they played certain roles stereotype roles, the porter or the shoeshine guy or or the waiter or the server or something. Mm-hmm. The fact that uh, there weren't many women in, in roles of power. Also, the fact that we applauded when the cavalry came and killed the Indians. You know, it's like... Yeah, you, you, they were the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. So, so there were things that formed you and also helped to deform you. But I remember the good ones... The good examples, and the Oxbow incident was one of them. Hmm. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers. Sure. Well, when he accepted his daytime um, Lifetime Acceptance Daytime Emmy, he did this amazing thing with the audience where he asked everyone in the audience to take 10 seconds to think about everyone that had brought them to that point. And I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I am going to ask you to take 10 seconds and just close your eyes and think about the Oxbow incident and the first time that you saw it, how old you were, where you were, all the memories that come to you. And then I'll, I'll chime in after 10 seconds. So where were you transported to then? Uh, I was in Panama. I saw that film... With my parents, with not my parents, with my grandmother. Hmm. I think I saw it. I don't think I saw it at the Edison. I think I saw it at the Barriadas Theater. Hmm. Do you remember how old you were, or approximately how old, or what year it would have been when you saw this? If I saw it with my grandmother, I must have been anywhere between three and five first. And, uh, I saw it again, probably I was 14. Hmm. I remember I was in school. And it was an important thing because those were elements that ended up, I think, uh, with other influences, such as uh, personal influences like my grandmother and my my mother and my father and, and of um, readings, which ended up pushing me towards law. It's so interesting to me because when I was, you know, as I mentioned to you, I'd never seen this movie before you recommended it. And watching it, I looked up kind of to see what people wrote about it at the time when it came out in 1943. And it was interesting that the New York Times review of it, have you have you read the New York Times review yes. of the movie? Oh, do you remember this line? It says, it's hard to imagine a picture with less promise commercially. Yeah. <laughs> and it, says, it exhibits most of the baser shortcomings of men, cruelty, bloodlust, uh, sordid pride. It shows a tragic violation of justice with little backlash to sweeten the bitter distraught. Mm-hmm. And then it says, the Oxbow incident is not a picture which will brighten or cheer your day. 
but it is one which for sheer stark drama is currently hard to beat. And also there was there was another gentleman who was incensed by the movie, I remember. There was a review that just panned it, said it was a horrible mm. movie. Yes, yes. And how did they waste their time doing such a movie with such horrible premise? Mm-hmm. You know, because those are the people who feel that uh, art or film or painting or music or anything just has to be directed towards escape. Yeah, to entertain. And entertainment, basically, and mm. not used for any other function. And it's interesting that now the Oxbow Incident is one of the hundred uh, films. I mean, it's certainly the Western film noir of all time, I think. Tie them up. I suppose it's no good telling you again that we're innocent. No good. It's not for myself, I'm asking. Other men with families who had to die for this sort of thing. It's too bad, but it's justice. Justice? What do you care about justice? You don't even care whether you've got the right men or not. All you know is you've lost something and somebody's got to be punished. I tell you, there's nobody to look out for them. They're in a strange place. Can't you understand that, you butcher? This is a fine company for a man to die with. Yeah, I mean, the Oxbow incident speaks to so many important issues. I mean, the idea of right and wrong, what happens when a vigilante mob mentality is allowed to enact justice. And how quickly we jump to conclusions. yes. And I'm curious, you talk about how this influenced you as a lawyer. Um, mm. What lessons did you learn and carry from from that movie that, that really led you? Well, the need that justice must be, that the ideal must be defended in order for it to exist. It's not enough to speak about justice. You really have to enforce it. You have to be a part of its defense. Hmm. And that people that are not... Uh, given justice are abused just the same way that I would be abused if I don't have access to it. Hmm. Um, so I, I felt I wanted to to be on the right side uh, of history. I mean, I I saw that and I, I suffered. It, it pained me hmm. to experience what those men had experienced. Hmm. It's just as if I they hung me or a part of me yeah. as well that day you know it's like and it was irreversible hmm. that's another thing that affected me i thought gosh when this happens people are totally without any type of protection they just succumb that's yeah, it yeah that's it and hmm. i thought well the system has to make people aware of our own capability of of being wrong and uh, not to take the law by our own hands. I mean, yeah. And and again, this is a situation where people who are not actively supporting the misdeed actually become accomplices of it for not saying anything. That was another thing that I remember that I mm. got out of the of the film. I mean, yeah. you have to talk about it. You have to be a part of it. You have to denounce it. You have to mm. accept that you're wrong or accept wrong. Yeah, and, and speak and up in the it. moment. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. They did not because they felt they didn't have all the information that they could have been wrong. And although they did not approve of it, they ended up joining the wrong. Mm. And I remember feeling about that and thinking, well, how many times do we do that? Yeah. Every day. We hold back from speaking up for someone, something that we see is wrong. Yeah, Because we're afraid. We're afraid of being wrong and we're afraid of consequences. Hmm. 
and we we say, well, well actually, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It could be. Yeah. But the point there was not about whether or not they could have murdered Kincaid. The thing there was you're not supposed to hang people without a fair trial. Exactly. That's the point. And they were not strong enough in opposing that. Yeah. And that's why when the scene, the scene where the sheriff comes upon the mob and he says, Larry Kincaid's not dead. I mean, that scene just gave me chills. It's all right, Sheriff. Everything's been attended to. What are you talking about? Kincaid's murderers. We got all three of them. And we hung them too, Sheriff. Ah! Larry Kincaid's not dead. Not dead. But we just... Well, I just left Larry Kincaid with the doctor at Pike's Hole. Caught the fellows who shot him, too. But, Sheriff, they had Larry's cattle down there. They even had his gun. Give me that badge. God better have mercy on you. You won't get any from me. I remember because, and this is the other thing with the audience, is that we don't know what happened until yes. he shows up. Until he shows up and says that, we don't know. Because it could have could have been. Mm. It could have happened. I mean, this this movie was so smart in so many ways because whenever you see a film with, the, and you see in those days, and even now when you see a film and you see like the headliners, the names, you know? Yeah. Henry Fonda, Harry Morgan, you, you know they're not going to die. Anthony yeah. Quinn, <laughs> which I always forget, well, yeah. Anthony Quinn, it's an interesting, you know how his role was described as? No, how? Mexican. <laughs> he didn't even have a name. The role was described as Mexican. He was great. Oh, so great. And again, he did a lot with very little. But anyway, uh, the fact that they put these main roles in an ambivalent position, yeah. they weren't heroes. Henry Fonda was not a hero in this movie. And neither was Harry Morgan. Uh, so the hero was the guy yeah. who died, who was abused. Which is so counter to Westerns of that time, right? Where there was a very clear hero. And movies in general. Yeah, movies in general. Because, again, the, the, what, what I learned was precisely not to act like they did. Hmm. What I learned was to, to act differently. Hmm. It's a it's a very interestingly different lesson that you derive from a from actors who usually portray heroes yeah. that are supposed to be imitated. Doing this in the middle of the night's crazy. I thought you liked excitement. I got nothing particular against hanging a murder and rustler. It's just I don't like doing it in the dark. There's always some crazy fool to lose his head and start hanging everybody in sight. Us. Funnier things have happened. Well, we didn't have to come. Look kind of funny if we hadn't, wouldn't it? Besides, I like to pick my own bosses. Whether we picked them or not, we sure got them. You know, my favorite scene in the movie comes right before the very end, when Gil Carter, who's played by Henry Fonda, he reads that letter that Donald Martin wrote to his mm -hmm. wife, right? <laughs> oh, God. Right before he was hung. Um, yep. So he reads it to the men in the bar. After, after everything has happened, all the men go to the bar to drink. And it's such a powerful scene because yeah. all we hear is Gil reading the letter. There's no music. Absolutely. Um, there's nothing to manipulate us, just the words. Another great choice. Another great choice. And in today's uh, sensitivities, you know, somebody might just come up with this incredibly, you know, huge orchestra. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This particular case, I mean, it was just... And, and that's the dignity that I believe... Um, the director, um, he decided to uh, to keep it real. 
Yeah. And trust his audience. He didn't feel that the audience had to be manipulated into, uh, cued into like feeling as many movies today do. And it's more powerful because of it. Absolutely. My dear wife, Mr. Davies will tell you what's happening here tonight. He's a good man and has done everything he can for me. I suppose there's some other good men here too, only they don't seem to realize what they're doing. They're the ones I feel sorry for, because it'll be over for me in a little while, but they'll have to go on remembering for the rest of their lives. Man just naturally can't take the law into his own hands and hang people without hurting everybody in the world, because then he's just not breaking one law, but all laws. I remember when I saw the movie, I remember the, in the theater, in the hush, completely silent, blackout theater, people sobbing. Hmm. You could actually go to a movie in those days and have an a audience participation. People cry yeah. and, and laughed and, and, and talked back to the screen. And I don't see much of that now. Yeah. I think people... People do talk a lot now because they think they're home. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but in a very different way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not in a constructive way. No. Well, it's because the movie was the center of your universe in a lot of ways. That was where you went to to be together, other than church. Yeah, absolutely. And also because it was a place that was respected. Mm. It was a poor man's opera. <laughs> you went yeah. there and you sat down and, and you behaved. Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned that that was one of my favorite scenes in the film, that last, previous to the last scene. And I wonder, what are the, the scenes that really stand out for you when you think about this movie? I mean, I remember that scene uh, that you mentioned in the bar when he, when he speaks. I remember how angry I got every time that Confederate general, whatever he was, ex-general, uh, talked, the hatred he had, the, the way he treated his son. Finally, you, Gabe Hart, and Jellis will whip the horses out. I won't do it. You'll do it. I... I can't. We'll see to it that you can. I'll have no female boys bearing my name. You'll do your part and say nothing more. I remember Anthony Quinn also. He he got shot and, and, and he mm. didn't complain about it. At he, all. he allows the bullet to be taken out with no <laughs> Which anesthesia. Which I felt a lot of pride. I'm like, as a fellow Hispanic, he actually I'm does like, that's it himself. Right. <laughs> he actually yeah. takes a knife and does it himself, which I thought was... Really great to have mm-hmm. uh, that shown a character from a minority. Mm-hmm. A Mexican man to be the, yeah. the bravest one in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, he, he just took it. I guess he so accustomed to being violated in so many ways that he, he didn't feel that this was any different. Say, that's Larry Kincaid's gun. Where do you get this? Somebody will take this bullet out of my leg, I'll tell you. Ah, huh, so he speaks American. In ten other languages, my dear. But I don't tell anything I don't want to in any of them. My leg, please. I wish to stand upright when you come to your pleasure. If somebody will lend me a knife, I'll take it out myself. Don't give no knife. He can throw a knife better than most men can shoot. Better than any of you, no doubt. But if you're afraid, I promise to give the knife back. Handle first. When I think about your career... Um, I mean, I grew up listening to your music and being inspired by you as an activist, as someone who fights for what is right um, and talks about what's wrong in your music as well as in your law and your politics. 
And I, th- I think about so much of your work being about that justice, right? That seeking justice for people who've been wronged, about how often we are judgmental to- towards one another. And, and how many times we are quiet about it. Yes, and how many times we are quiet. And it's no coincidence to me that you've been the opposite of quiet, right? You've stood up and spoken and used your voice in every possible way. It's interesting because I don't portray myself as a hero. I was just upset. Mm. I was just angry, actually. And I wrote my songs always from the perspective of a different opinion because I always felt that it made people who were feeling those things feel less lonely. That was basically it. I wanted people to know that they were not alone. That's what I that's what I thought. And I think you gave voice to those who didn't have a voice in your songs. Well, I was one of the people. I mean, other people did a lot more than I ever did. Um, and some of them were actually mm. killed by the military uh, dictatorships that we were denouncing at the time. Oh, yes. Victor Jara in Chile. Yes. He got killed by the military. And uh, in Central America, mm-hmm. Monsignor Romero got killed. And uh, the, the Marinol nuns and, and Rutilio Grande and... and uh, the Jesuits, and, uh, you know, there were so many people all throughout in those days in Central America Mm -hmm. and South America who were being killed for standing up for -hmm. justice, basically. So, um, yeah, but I figured I'm going to write about that, too. And and I'm Mm -hmm. sure that it it was a consequence just as it was for me to go study law. Part of it was that desire to prevent the the sort of things that I saw when I was very young, exemplified in film. Hmm. Is there anything else, Ruben, that that you'd like to say about Oxbow Incident that I didn't ask you about? I think that it should be uh, the type of film that people see Hmm. so, so that we can get acquainted again with our need to be vigilant so that we do not commit the same mistakes again, especially now, especially in these Mm. times, you know, that that are so troubling, but at the same time are so promising, I find, because things Mm. are being presented for what they are, and that provides us with a perfect opportunity to correct them. any such thing as civilization unless people have a conscience because if people touch God anywhere where is it except through their conscience and what is anybody's conscience except a little piece of the conscience of all men that ever lived Ruben Blades is a Panamanian singer, songwriter, actor, musician, activist, lawyer, politician, and basically my number one hero, besides Captain America. He has too many incredible albums to list, but my favorite is Siembra, that he made with Willy Colon. It has Pedro Navaja, Plástico, all of the songs that made Ruben the legend that he is. Next time, we're going to be talking about the badass superhero movie, Wonder Woman. If you haven't seen it or you just want to revisit it so that you're feeling strong and empowered for our conversation, you can find it on all the usual streaming sites or at your local library, the home of some real-life heroes. This movie Changed Me is produced by Maya Terrell, Chris Hegel, Tony Liu, and Marie Sambalay and is an On Being Studios production. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like listening. 
And if you're feeling friendly, leave us a review. We love hearing how you're connecting with the show. Shout out this week to reviewer Mama Bang, who had a different take on our central question. What movie scarred you? She says even the thought of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang terrifies her. For me, it would have to be Deliverance. I definitely never looked at Ned Beatty the same way again, and that's probably where my fear of nature began. Thanks, Deliverance. What are some of the movies that scarred you? Tweet us at TMCM Podcast. That's TMCM Podcast. I'm Lily Percy. Do yourself a favor and put on some Ruemblades and dance some salsa tonight. <laughs>